campuses as they join us now, Northridge, Cactus, Venue, Chapel. It's good to have all of you with us for another week in our Summer on the Mount series. And uh, it's been so fun to preach through this sermon that Jesus taught, because you're getting to watch really the master at work. Uh, Jesus was a brilliant communicator. And so as we've walked through all these thoughts, it's just really fun to sit back and go, oh my gosh, things that we're doing as communicators 2,000 years later uh, we really got from him because he does them so well. And so we're gonna continue to talk about what a great preacher Jesus is as we kind of go through this. But today we're gonna talk about the golden rule. And so many of us kind of know this, but we, we just kind of go, right, yeah, do unto others is, and that's, that's great. We don't tend to use it that way very often. And so here's what I mean by that. So if you think about kids, okay, and we'll use mine as an example. They're good kids, they're sweet kids, but they're kids. Selfishness is kind of, pre, we're pre-wired for selfishness, all right? It's the best example we've got for the fact that we're kind of born sinful is the fact that you don't have to teach kids how to be selfish, you have to teach them how to be selfless. And so let's take my kids, for example. Let's say that, you know, and this is typically how it goes. McCoy has something and Marley wants it, right? And so what happens? Uh, Marley comes over and either tries to manipulate it and she's very diplomatic. So she can try to explain to her brother, here's why this is in your best interest to give that to me. And so once that doesn't work, she resorts to brute force because she outweighs him by about 20 pounds and she takes it. And what is McCoy's response? Because he's a fierce little guy at 42 pounds, babe. I think he's super tiny. And he'll wheel around and just and just swing, and you're like, oh man, <laughs> that escalated quickly. And so we'll separate them, and we'll pull them over here, and typically I'll come in and go, okay, and this is typically how the golden rule sounds. Hey, McCoy, uh, do you like being punched in the face? Right, great question. And depending on the day he's having, I'll get sometimes this. Yeah, take your best shot, right? <laughs> it just depends on the day the little guy's having. But most of the time, what do we say? The kid will say, no. I don't like being punched in the face. And you go, great, here comes the golden rule. Then don't punch others in their faces. That's a great way to do it. Let's skip that. And, and what I love and what we're gonna dive into today is Jesus does something that I would argue, a guy came up last night and really reinforces. No other religion really teaches. No other religion really takes that golden rule into the positive. It's always left in the negative. It's always left in the don'ts. Don't do this because you don't like that. Others don't like that either. So it kind of creates this, let's stop doing negative things. But Jesus and the kingdom goes so much further. It goes beyond the don'ts and it goes into a place where as citizens of the kingdom, and you're gonna hear that, that word over and over again, kingdom and citizenship, our participation in the kingdom of Christ Jesus uh, our, our participation there as citizens, it goes beyond just a neutralizing don't, and it presses in to a much richer, much deeper, beyond our wildest expectations place of where we start doing uh, for the kingdom, because that's what someone did for us. So before we dive into that, uh, again, we've got a, a summer of heart change and not just behavior change. And so uh, let's do this. Let's pray, and then I'll read our passage for us today. 
So Jesus, we do, we, we invite you in now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and really do something in our hearts. You would give us a, a deep revelation of what it is uh, that our King Jesus told us today. Uh, we ask that you would come in and show us places where we need to kind of walk forward in a kingdom way. Show us the balance that's been described this summer between kind of two different poles that are both worldly and then a kingdom middle. So Jesus, we give you full permission. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate the scriptures for us now. Open our hearts as we come together united under your word. Pray this in your name, amen. All right, so let's do this. Let's read the passage. Uh, It's a little wordy, so hang with me, but we're in chapter seven of the book of Matthew. We're in this Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're gonna read verses seven all the way through 12. So here it is. Uh, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Big statement to finish there. We'll break that down in a minute. Uh, Kevin, just a few weeks ago, taught a great sermon about judgment. And I think many of us were kind of convicted. Kevin used some great examples. He described this experience that he was having at one point where he was walking through this area where a big, vibrant party was going on. And there was one individual in particular, a woman that was off to the side who was really enjoying herself at this party. And Kevin described this moment of kind of polarizing conviction. Because in one moment he looked over and he looked at this woman who was having a great time and was just kind of going after this party thing. And he looked over and he just thought, he started feeling his heart start to judge this woman for her behavior. And in an instant, the Holy Spirit kind of spooled up in my friend and went, Kevin, you are just as guilty of sin right now as she is. You see, she's over there kind of living out an immoral lifestyle, but you, Kevin, you are judging her for that. You're both sinning, you're just doing it in two really different ways. And what Kevin described was so important for us. He talked about the difference between a judgmental life, where we sit back and we look at the world with a condescending and condemning eye, which Christ tells us is not what we're supposed to do. And then he talked about the other side, where he talked about this kind of indiscriminate life, a life that has no judgment, a life that sits back and simply says, well, it's probably all fine. Jesus told us not to judge, so I'm not gonna judge anything. Whatever you believe out there, world, I'm going to agree with you and say that's fine and that's good and God's okay with that. And I want you to imagine, because this is kind of where our passage is gonna go today, I want you to imagine like a 50 or 100 foot high wall. And on one side, okay, and I'm just using two examples here with judgment and lack of discernment, okay? I want you just two. I could do this with 150 of them, but we're not. We don't have time for that today. I want you to imagine on this side is judgment. If you walk too far in that direction, you run into the wall. And on the same thing, on this other side, if you lack discernment and you walk, you're gonna walk into that same wall. And right in the middle, what Kevin taught us was we have to hold attention. And what Jesus does here today is he kind of goes, I want you to walk that tension. I want you to walk. And I want you to imagine in that wall is a very narrow crack, exactly shoulder width. And that is what Jesus is encouraging us towards. The great thing and the reason I'm bringing up Kevin's sermon is because that's what's happened so far in the chapter that we're in, okay? We're in chapter seven. Kevin, in that sermon, walked us through the first six verses. So those first five verses talked about judgment, okay? 
Verse six talked about that lack of discernment, all right? Now, interesting side note, Jesus gave us five verses on judgment and one verse on lacking judgment. Which one do you think he thought we'd have a tougher time with, all right? So that's the first six verses, and we're picking it up in seven today. And what I want to submit to you is that Jesus is telling us, all right, I've got this. I've got you guys understanding that neither of these two poles, because the world, like as humans, we're really good at doing these two things. Either A, if five is good, then 10 must be better. I'm going to max this principle out. Okay, we can do that really well. Or this principle probably doesn't matter. I don't need it at all. And what Jesus does here today is coming out of that teaching time, he goes, there's something really good here. The verses that come right after what I'm gonna teach you today are this, narrow is the road. You see, the kingdom road is in the middle and it's very narrow. It says wide is the road to destruction. Listen, there is miles of wall that you can keep banging into here, but narrow is the road that walks you into a kingdom lifestyle. Almost, I would argue, an impossible road without certain practices in play. And that is exactly what we're gonna talk about today. There's a really great quote here, and I quote this guy a lot because all summer what we've been talking about is we've been talking about how to change our hearts, not just our behavior. And there's a balance in that, which is what Kevin kind of walked us through. Uh, The quote's really great here. It's uh, D.A. Carson, and I quote him a lot because his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount is great. It's one of several that I'm reading as I prepare for these times. He says this, he says, he, being Jesus, is insisting that both entrance into the kingdom and progress in the kingdom require God's saving hand. Thus, the whole body of the Sermon on the Mount has been rounded and knit, I love those words, together with exceptional balance. You see, what he's saying is, listen, humanity's prone to polarizing experiences. The kingdom is a balance that comes together and starts to walk things out. But our sermon today is going to be focused on what does it look like for us to start walking in the kingdom? So let's start with the first two verses here. Verse seven talks about, I'm gonna keep rereading these over and over again, but ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Why reiterate that twice? And what is it that Jesus is talking about? Because we've all had the experiences. Anybody ever prayed to win the lottery? How's that working out for you? Right? You're like, well, I'm here and, you know, I'm still making my wage and I'm not, didn't happen. So what do we do with a verse that says, ask and I'll give it to you? How does that fit when so many of us have had the experiences of I've prayed and I didn't get what I asked for. I sought and it didn't show up. I knocked on a door and no one ever opened it. What do we do with that? Well, remember last week we had this anxiety topic that we talked about and what everybody thought, okay, this was most people's expectation because some of you told this to me. I thought I was gonna come in and what Rustin was gonna teach me last week about anxiety was I'm gonna tell you how to keep living your life the exact same way you have been and how not to be anxious. Like, I'm gonna keep doing the same things and we're just gonna remove anxiety from the equation. We'll just knock that off. It's not fun. But that's not the conclusion that Jesus brought us to in that passage. He sits back and Jesus goes, listen, the problem you have is the same problem the world has. Jesus goes, I'm looking at the world right now and he says, Gentiles are seeking after all these things, worldly things, even necessary things, food and clothing, okay? The world is seeking after material needs, all right? Both perceived and legitimate. And you know what it's causing? Because that's what they're seeking. It's causing anxiety because they're seeking after those things first. 
And so what Jesus doesn't do is go, keep seeking after worldly things, and I'm just, if you ask me, gonna remove your anxiety. He goes, I need you to back up, and I need you to seek something new. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness first, and then the things you need to sustain life will be added to you. That's the end of chapter six. So those verses are already in play as we tackle this statement today. So what Jesus is saying fits beautifully with last week's sermon because it has to do with how we seek. It has to do with what we go after. If we go after the things of the world, don't be shocked when we have a worldly experience, which is what? Anxiety, fear, and distraction, disillusionment. But what Jesus is saying is, Listen, when you get tired, when you get to the end of your rope, when you run into every wall on either side of the narrow road and you run out of yourself, here's what you have to do. Verse seven, ask. You have to ask. You have to seek. You have to knock. Well, I've been knocking, I've been seeking, I've been asking. No, you haven't. You have been going after the world. I'm telling you to reorient yourself into something new. What's the new thing, Jesus? I'm so tired of running into walls. There's a really, you see that crack? That crack is a kingdom crack. It is not large. There is one way to get through it. And what do you say? I can't get to that crack. And he goes, that's exactly right. On, on your own, you can't get to that crack. It is, it is impossible for you to do it. But if you are so brave, if you are one of the few who says, can you help me? All of a sudden, I will answer. He says, listen, seek. What do we seek? Seek kingdom things. Ask. Ask for kingdom things. Knock on kingdom doors. Instead of seeking after worldly things, seek after kingdom things. Start asking for these things. And guys, this is a no-brainer. God is not sitting up there looking at us when we go, God, can you give me a heart that looks like yours? God, can you show me how to walk the narrow road of your kingdom to take my citizenship as a member of the kingdom seriously? He's not sitting back going, I don't know, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> no, he's on our team. He's sitting back and he's going, gosh, I'm so glad that you backed out of what you were doing and now you're asking the right questions. You're seeking the right things. You are knocking on the right doors. Oh gosh, Rustin, but I've been so disappointed so many times when I've asked God, where does God tell me that he'll come through for me in that? It's verse eight. It's the next verse. He says, for everyone who asks, for kingdom things, right? Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open to them. See, the thing is, we have worldly problems and we're looking for kingdom answers. Does it make sense? We have worldly questions and we're getting kingdom answers. And the problem is, if we are looking for God's provision over here and he's providing in a kingdom area, we'll miss it. We're not oriented in that direction to see it. But when we step back and we go, you know what? I'm gonna let God worry about the material things in my life, the earthly things in my life, and I'm going to focus first and foremost on his kingdom and his righteousness. Now all of a sudden we start to see his provision. Oh my goodness, he is coming through for me. I, I, I wasn't sure how to, all of a sudden he starts changing the thing that we need changed the most, our hearts. They start getting filled. We start feeling like we have a new direction and the things of this world grow pale in comparison to the everlasting, almighty kingdom of Christ. 
You see, that's what we're being told today. We're being told, if you seek kingdom things, I'm on your team. If you seek worldly things, you're gonna miss my provision because it's not gonna line up with the things that you're looking for. Again, Jesus is such a great preacher, and this is what I love the most. He, he comes through and he makes this crazy statement. And just don't feel bad. If We're all sitting here kind of going, that seems like a lot. His first century audience probably thought the same thing. And so as a great communicator, he sits back and he does what he's really good at. He goes, it's like this. And he gives two great examples. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Verse 11 is so such a wonderful slap in the face by the Lord. He says, if you then who are evil, well, that stinks. Like, well, that's a lot. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly, will your father who is in heaven give good things to you who ask him? These are such great examples. Here's why. If you had a kid in your home, okay, some of us have children, all right? But even if you don't, all right, I want you to imagine that there's a kid in your house, okay? Somebody let you borrow their kid, all right? And a kid's walking around your house and a kid comes up to you and goes, hey, Rustin? You go, yeah, bud, what's up? And he goes, I'm hungry. You go, okay, great. Like, do you, do you have any crackers? And it's like, well, yeah, here's a Triscuit, right? Or, you know, a wheat thin. You're not gluten-free, are you? I don't wanna have to use the EpiPen. And so we kind of do, you go, yeah, I got you here. I got you, I got a cracker for you. It's no big deal. What this kid would be asking for in the first century, because these are weird. Nobody's, I don't know, has a kid ever asked you for something and you're like, you know, here's a slice and a mackerel? Like, nobody's doing that, okay? This is a very basic meal in the first century, okay? Think about it. When Jesus multiplied food, what did he multiply? Bread, fish. Why? Because you had some carb and some protein. That's what they made meals out of. That was it, all right? Jesus didn't multiply roasted pigs because that's not what they ate, okay? If a, kid came, if a kid came to a parent in the first century to go, hey, dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a meal? And the dad would have been like, yeah, hey, I, I caught a fish last night. Okay, we still got a few left over. Here, eat that. And the kid would have known how to do that, which is impressive to me. And he said, hey, here's some bread. Go ahead, dive in. What this kid is asking for is a basic, sustaining, worldly need. And a father, who is evil here on earth, a human father, goes, yeah, of course. But Jesus is so great because he just like, this has probably made people laugh, right? This is probably Jesus' little humorous moment. He goes, hey, which one of you guys is so roughed up that if your kid asks for bread, you go, hey, bite down hard. The first bite's a little tough. Here's a rock, right? Or you sit back and you go, hey, dad, can I have a fish? And he goes, ha, surprises on you. Here's a snake. Like they would have laughed at that. They'd have been like, no, that's stupid. No one would do that. And then Jesus comes in with this wonderful little punch right at the end where he just goes, great. I want you to imagine this. You guys are evil. All sorts of bad things have been done by humankind. I just want you for a minute to understand that if you guys who are all sorts of messed up wouldn't do this for your kids, why is it that you keep assuming that I would? He's better. He's a better parent. The kingdom is a better place. And what Jesus is doing in this verse is he's exemplifying, listen, you guys are treating me like I'm a worse parent than you are. I had a great experience recently with a really close friend of mine, him and his wife, the whole family, families were hanging out and we were at our house and uh, we were barbecuing and stuff. And the wife asked a really great question. She was sitting there and she said, um, hey guys, I just wanna, can we just talk about something? I was, yeah, sure. And she says, what does it mean to enjoy God? And my first thought was, so we're gonna keep it light today. Just talk about the, the easy, you know, 
We'll dive into the, the bachelor or something like that. And she goes, no, what does it mean to enjoy God? And she, and she, was, very, she was very open. She just said, because that's something like I'm, I wrestle with sometimes. And, and she loves the Lord, has a great relationship with Jesus. But she was just like, I really want to go deeper in what it means to enjoy God. So my wife answered, and she sort of answered, and then my buddy answered, I answered. And as my buddy was talking, he said, you know, I really enjoy my time with God. Like, I really enjoy when I, when I read the scriptures, and I, I really enjoy him during those times. And something hit me. And I was just, I felt compelled to ask him. Like, the Holy Spirit kind of spun something up. And some of you have had this, this experience before. I talk about it from time to time where I looked at him, and I just, I said, yeah, dude, but do you know that God enjoys you? And he kind of stopped. And it was at that point where the words had already left my mouth, where the Lord went, I want you to keep talking because this is actually good for you, Rustin. And you're like, shoot, now I got to go the rest of the way with this stupid thing. And it's now I'm feeling bad. And so I'm sitting there and I, I kind of go, hey, listen, I got to go do something on the grill, which is always fun. Isn't that great when it's 115 out and you go, let's barbecue? It's like, I'm gonna stand in front of this 500 degree grill. That's not the point, but here's the deal. So we're out there and I'm in front of this hot grill. We're both sweating. And I just said, but let me ask you a question. Um, You're a great dad. And he said, thanks, I I appreciate that. And I said, do you think your kids, right? Do you think they know that you enjoy them? Because I know you love them. Do they know that you love them and you enjoy them? He goes, well, yeah. And I said, I would affirm that. That's absolutely right. I watch you with your kids and I can tell you both of your kids know that they are enjoyed by their dad. He goes, yeah. And I said, so in that case, do you think God is A, a lesser, B, an equal to, or C, a greater father than you are? And he just went, yeah, no, he's better. I said, that's right, because here's the deal. Your heavenly father can see you outside of time He can see you perfected at some point in the kingdom. He sees you with kingdom eyes because of his sacrifice applied to your life, covering your sin. He sees you when you've walked through the whole of your life. He doesn't hold your sin against you because he already paid for it. He can look at you in a perfected state in the future, which he doesn't discern between. He goes, listen, this is what Jared is. It's in there, it's being developed. And so I've covered all the junk between here and then. He's gonna keep coming to me over and over again, but he sees me as perfect and he enjoys when I come to him and we spend time together. Do you think God is a better dad than you? He goes, oh yeah, he totally is. You see the reality and what Jesus is really exemplifying for us here is when you come to me, when you seek me, When you ask me for things, kingdom things, you have to know I will answer. And you'll be shocked at how all the other things that you long for in your life start to fall into alignment when you come after me first. I wanna be the first in your life, like we talked about last week. So Jesus' example is so beautiful when he talks about this kingdom reality because kingdom participation is going to re going to necessitate a request to God to change our hearts to be able to walk through that narrow road. The the next place that Jesus goes is really where we're gonna start to kind of wrap this thing up. But I want you to hear in verse 12 how the entirety of what we've learned up to now Okay? We didn't even have time to go through the whole sermon this summer. It's just not enough time. We only had six weeks. And so we picked kind of stuff that exemplified everything. But everything that Jesus has taught up to now, from where he started with blessed are the poor in spirit, his first syllables that left his mouth up to now, it all terminates into verse 12. 
Jesus says this, and I, we can walk through it together. This is a huge left turn, all right? So I want us to experience the whiplash together, all right? Verse 12 says this. So, Jesus meaning, based on everything I've said up to this point, so, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Like, we have just spent, I mean, a month with Jesus talking about God and us and God and us and God and us, and now it's God and others. And it's like, Jesus, what's the connection? How did you left turn so fast? And the next thing that he talks about after 12 is the narrow road. And you're like, what's the connection? Church, this is what Jesus is doing. He is sitting back and transitioning from us talking about our internal provision from God about an external care from us. So it's taking something that has been internal up to this point and Jesus going, okay, now, let's talk about, because this verse tells us what to do, but it's super fuzzy on the why. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? His audience must have been like, what do you mean? What we, you love us, and you love us, and you love us, but now we're supposed to go, that's right. We're supposed to externalize an internal provision and externalize it by turning it into an external care for the world around us. And then Jesus makes this statement that is confusing for most of us, but I want you to know, his first century audience, having been in a Greco-Roman culture and being steeped in Judaism, would have been like, come again? He looks at him and he says, for this is the law and the prophets. Guys, that is such a big statement. Like what I want you to understand is, um, the transfiguration, okay? Just, we'll take one example, because this, this phrase, we're familiar with it. Law, prophets, law, prophets, law. Here's why it's so familiar. All of Judaism's understanding was built on the law and the prophets, okay? The transfiguration, so um, it's Matthew 17, uh, Mark 9, Luke 9. Jesus goes up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden, he has like a glowing moment. And all of a sudden he is transfigured into a glorified state and with him are two figures, Moses and Elijah. Here's why that's important. God didn't sit back and just, God the Father didn't go, hey, who's available from the Old Testament who's willing to make a trip to earth? <laughs> These are specific and they're important. Here's why. Moses represents the law. He's the one who brought the law. Elijah represents, he is, he is the prophet of all prophets. The law and the prophets is present conversing with Jesus. And what Kevin taught us a few weeks back is that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, all of what God, and this is what Judaism understood. They understood God through the provision of his law and through his prophetic revelation through the prophets. And so all of those things come to conclusion in Jesus. Like Moses and Elijah aren't sitting there arguing with him. They are sitting there going, dude, you are, you are the fulfillment of everything. Everything is fulfilled by Jesus. That's why he says, not a dot or a tittle. Those two words mean not a single dot over a Hebrew vowel. The slightest little pen mark will not go away. Instead, it will find its fulfillment in me, which means now Jesus is inaugurating something new. He is ushering in the kingdom. But the law and the prophets would have gotten everybody's attention. So when Jesus says, for you to do these things is the law and the prophets, he's making a statement that everybody would have gone, that is a bold claim. But Jesus taught with authority. 
This is a really great quote, and I wanna, wanna read it for you here because it kind of sums this up. It says, the reason we are to do to others what we would like others to do to us is that such behavior sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, such behavior conforms to the requirements of the kingdom of God, the kingdom which is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You see, the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus and he is the foundation of the kingdom. He's the one we have to ask. He's the one we have to seek. He's the one we have to knock on the door in order for us to walk in this narrow road, a road that is so impossibly difficult for us to walk because we can't do it without him. Like our first quote said, it's not just entrance into the kingdom that requires the sustaining of Jesus. It is progress into the kingdom that we need him for. We need him for everything. That's what we're talking about. We can change our behavior for a short period of time, but only Jesus can change our hearts to make progress in a kingdom lifestyle. We never stop needing him. So the reality of what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, once you have had a kingdom provision poured into you and you are starting to live a new life, there is a reality that here and now you are going to need to do something with that. You are going to need as to live as a member of the kingdom in a world that is anything but kingdom-oriented. Jesus is so great because what he does here is he goes, listen, I'm gonna pit your love for others against the one thing that I know you can't forget. Like you gotta imagine, he's sitting there and he's preaching and he's going, all right, listen, I want you to do unto others as you would do, and he's sitting there, and the audience must have been like, what, for my dog? Right, for my, for my luggage? I kinda could take or leave my luggage. What do you think about that? It's like, no, yourself. And they're like, ooh, that one's hard. Big fan of me, I like me some me. I don't know, I can, I, that's gonna be hard. He goes, that's exactly right. I don't want you to do unto others as you would passively do unto someone else. No, 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 I want you to love the world around you the way you would love you. That's a hard bar. See, the reasoning for this, and this is what we talked about earlier, that the negative side of this proverb exists all over the place. In every different religion, this is great. The Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Halil, taught this for years. What is hateful to yourself, do to no other. What's it mean? Listen, if you don't want to be robbed, don't rob people. Okay? You don't want to be hit in the face with a club? Skip that. Don't do it. That's the way it should work. And, and here's the metric. Here's why. Our people are representing what we are doing. So if we can keep them out of this whole negative area, okay, of doing things that are making, a, creating a negative perception of them, let's stop that, okay? We'll get to neutral. Jesus is going, guys, that should be second nature by now. We shouldn't be actively hurting people. He goes, what we should be doing is going beyond the neutral. We should be moving into places where it looks like this. Listen, whatever you wish others would do, not not do, but would do for you, do unto them. Do you wanna be loved? Great, go and love. The reality is that the kingdom goes beyond what other religions in the rest of the world do. And here's why. Because Jesus is the only one who could make the statement, I can sustain that. No other religion can make that claim because it's unsustainable. But Jesus, who taught with authority, who has a kingdom provision to give, can sit back and go, I can do much better than just keeping you out of the negative. I can actually take you into a place where you should be flourishing and so should the communities around you. Kingdom participation for all of us is active. It is not the passivity of don't. 
It is the activity of do. You see, kingdom citizenship doesn't just sit back and hoard a kingdom lifestyle of provision from God. Kingdom citizenship actively goes out and loves the least of these. Kingdom citizenship goes out and it gives of gifts and resources. Kingdom citizenship is sacrificing the things that mean the least to us, which is our stuff, so that we can give something that is most precious, and this is what it is, a taste of the kingdom to the hurting world around us. That is kingdom citizenship. That is why it fulfills everything that Jesus came to do. Because I didn't just create you guys to sit back and not. I created you, I will fulfill you, I will put my provision in you so that you can move beyond the don'ts and move into a world that is desperately needing you to do, but not for yourself, do unto others. See the problem so many times for us as Christians, and and guys listen, I'm, I'm talking to me too, we sit back and we just, we are so busy actively being out in the world going, don't, 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 don't. And we just completely eliminate our ability to ever be in a relationship that would sustain long enough for, us some, for someone to see us doing. We're so busy leveling the don'ts that we don't ever get to get to the place where people can see us do. My favorite Christians on the planet are the ones who have relationships, scads of them, where they are sitting there and they are in relationship where someone else who does not have a saving faith in Christ or a kingdom-oriented life with him are sitting there and they're going, hey, this injustice we're experiencing at work is rough. Can you believe what they're making us do? This is crushing me. I'm so mad. I'm so anxious. I'm so afraid of what's going to happen next. And instead of sitting there and responding the same way, someone who has a kingdom provision and a kingdom orientation in their life towards the kingdom and his righteousness goes, you know what? Yeah, this is hard. And they go, it doesn't seem like it's hard for you. Doesn't really seem like it's affecting you. You seem like you're doing really well. And now because you are in that relationship and you're suffering with them in the trenches, you have an ability to go, oh yeah, well I'm doing some things that are a little different. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm not seeking in the same direction. I, I used to do a lot of things and guess, and now here comes the don't. I used to seek after money and after clothing and after these things, but I, get ready for it, now I don't because it stopped working for me. What's the next question? What are you seeking? That's, that's the right question. Here's the way I lead my life now, and it's producing a different result. You see, that's what Christians are called to do. That's why we're supposed to be in the world, in relationship, but not of it believing the same things. God puts his people in places where the world around them is falling apart so that they can bring that kingdom provision and go, here's what I'm doing. Here's what's working for me. Because the reality is, that's what we need. We need a powerful move of Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, hey, listen, where Christians are, those areas should be flourishing. Not like necessarily financially, but many of us have those financial gifts to be able to give. But you should be flourishing emotionally and relationally and spiritually because those are kingdom areas where I can have a deep impact But when all of a sudden you stop seeking the world, you'll realize you can be happy, peaceful, joyful with a lot less, and so can everyone around you. You see, the beauty of it, and this is why our church's values are what they are. Our values at this church are so simple, and there's three of them. What we want to give people, everyone, not a specific group, every person on the planet, Scottsdale Bible wants to have the opportunity to come in and do three things. To come in and to get God, to get real, 
Meaning you come in and you start to go, I don't wanna seek after the world anymore, but I don't know how to seek after the kingdom. That is an abstract concept. So we get God, we get real about where we are and we start to experience a kingdom provision. And when that kingdom provision has spooled up in us to a point where you're going, I gotta give this away, we do the third thing and we get out there. We get God, we get real, and we get out there. The, the toughest question anybody should have to answer who's listening to this today, and it should convict all of us, is if you are not compelled to get out into the world and share the good news of who Jesus is, you should be asking, I may not be getting enough kingdom provision, and I should look at my life and figure out why that's going on. I may need more of Jesus in order to be able to go, I am overflowing. If you aren't overflowing, let's ask why. There might be some places in my life where I'm hitting the wall and I need to start walking into a narrower path where Jesus refines me and fills me in new ways. That's the kingdom. That's what Jesus came to do. He said, listen, the healthy don't need a doctor. What does he mean? People who aren't interested, people who aren't at the end of their rope, people who haven't run into the walls long enough, they're probably not gonna care. But those who are truly broken, who are poor in spirit and desperate for more, those people, those people will be ready for something radically different. A provision that sustains the human heart and a life that moves out into the world, not ready to love the way that everybody else loves, but ready to love like I love, giving of self to the benefit of others. I always love weeks where we get to do uh, our time of elder fund. And this is one of those weeks. And I love it because we always get an extra worship song and it gives an opportunity for all of us to be able to sit there and go, what did God just reveal to my heart? And what should I do about it? What are the things that I should take from today? Some of us might be sitting back right now going, I don't love the world around me the way that I love myself. Hey, great. That's absolutely the starting point. And the starting point from here, and by the way, it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian 30 minutes or 30 years. The reality is we can all find a place where we go, oh shoot, Jesus is better and his kingdom has more for me. The questions I want you to ask right now as we go into a time of worship and a time of giving of our gifts, okay, is I want you to sit back and I just want you to ask. I want you to seek and I want you to knock on that door with Jesus and just say, I need you to do something different in me. Next week, we're gonna come back and we're gonna have kind of a vision message a little bit. It'll be our last week before dad comes home and Jamie kind of jumps back in. Jamie's gonna spend three weeks talking about getting God, getting real and getting out there. I'm so excited. But next week, we're gonna talk about a little of, hey, how do we keep this from just being six weeks of talking about heart change? to a steady road of where we actually engage in heart change. And so we're gonna do that. So uh, as we release our campuses to have their own time of worship and giving, uh, let me pray for us. Uh, so God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for this potent message of what it is that you want us to not just meet you in and not just to come to you for, but how you want it to transact in a hurting world around us, that we would be filled to the point where you take what you've given us, which is so profound and so powerful, it is so sustaining and all-encompassing. And now, with a new vector, with a new direction that we're walking, a kingdom direction, we come to you and we start asking how we can give it away. Uh, Lord, we love you so much and we pray this in your name. Amen.